This is The Yay, I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay. <laughs> As always, we are sponsored by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. We want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara. Yay. I have yet to see her... Um, this year, 2022. Oh, that's right. We're supposed to be doing dinner. But uh, hopefully we will see her. And we have a wonderful guest, Neil Harkins. Neil, how are you doing? Great. All Glad right. To be here. If you can pull the mic just closer to you so that we can hear you. You got it. Right on. And Neil, you are a, uh, a budding playwright. You've worked with the Playwright Center for San Francisco, and you're helping us out with the Baldwin Project. You'll be. Um... Yep, coordinating one of the spaces for where the readings will yeah. take place. Well, yeah. and, and do you have a. Is there a name for your reading group yet? Uh, we're. Tentatively called the unofficial people uh, theater company. <laughs> uh, there's about five of us. Um, I don't know if you want to get into this now, but um, it's, it's fine. About five of us from uh, various Gary Graves playwriting classes. Gary Graves, yes. Yeah. And uh, um, well, one of the things about Gary's classes, the Berkeley Rep, right? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he also does one through Central Works as well. Yeah. Um, but one of the great things is uh, when I started taking his class. Yeah. Uh, I was expecting it to be more of a curriculum where we like analyzed some plays and talked about them. Um, instead, Gary was like, nope, you bring in pages. Jump in the deep end right now. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. going to write. I, t- I took that class in 2016. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, it was very influential for my developing foreman in Paris. It's, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. I'm yeah. still taking them and uh mm-hmm. but anyway uh, about five of us from the class kind of got together and uh we wanted to kind of we formed a book club right it was on. basically just reading plays um mm-hmm. which is something that i had started doing we can go back to norman and my uh mm-hmm. origin story i guess mm-hmm. um and we'll get deeper into yeah, that i mean sure. um, well uh norman how, how was your week i, I guess you've been i uh, am Preparing for Baldwin Project will be a big thing. Is preparing tonight. for Baldwin. Oh my gosh! So yes, getting the full cast together. This is going to be bigger than any of the readings that we will do ultimately, mm. uh, because the Richard Wright has like seven or eight people in it. Yeah, seven I think. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Giovanni's room has six people, and there is almost no overlap. So that's a lot of people mm-hmm. that I've had to. To hustle together, um, but um, on top of that, uh, trying to get the word out. So you know, if mm-hmm. you see it online, please, please pump it, pump it, pump yep. it. Um, I will be on KPFA Thursday around eleven twenty. Nice. <laughs> talking about the show on Chris Welch's show. The uh, it's called Living Room. It's a daily, mm-hmm. you know, news and community show that's fantastic how did you get how did you get that i just i sent in and i know her because i directed her in i directed a piece for golden thread many moons ago mm-hmm. and for some reason somebody talked chris into being in it and i already knew her because she's just she's a regular voice on kpfa so i'm like oh wow right on much. how cool Use so i just got in touch and said hey yeah Very. She said, I'd love to do that, and you can come on, and you can talk about the project, and you can talk about everything else you're doing. So there's all that. And then on top of it, I've been teaching um, Mm -hmm. in Larkspur at uh, Redwood High School. Mm -hmm. I've been doing the Crucible, and they asked me to do some other classes. So I've been doing Romeo and Juliet Mm -hmm. um, 
and it looks like Monday I'm actually going to pick up yet a new one, and then I'm I'm done Thursday. So <laughs> it's been it's been a quick little. Yeah, I didn't realize you were still doing uh, the crucible, the, that crucible uh, story with the kids. How long will you be? How long will that finish? They when will. That will finish? So turns out their whole first freshman class <clears throat> in English reads the crucible, mm-hmm. and so they decided that was an obvious acting. Thing. So we're going to perform it for some of these English classes on Wednesday. That'll be nice. And we've talked about, well, we have rehearsal too on Wednesday too. It's Wednesday be busy. night, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but, but it's just a trip because we're at that point where we're lucky if we get one more rehearsal. I'm not sure we even get one more rehearsal. Mm-hmm. So I tortured oh, we'll this poor kid the other oh, day. Oh, the Crucible rehearsal. Yes, the Crucible. Yes. Yeah. I tortured this kid with um, no book, you know, off book. Yeah. No script. You can't have it. And he's like, well, I don't really know my lines. I said, then you're going to make it up. There you and, go. <laughs> and I sat there and I kept feeding him lines, but he kept calling line for every line. So I said, okay, mm-hmm. new rule. You can't call line. The way you can call line is to repeat what was just said to you. Mm-hmm. So you'd hear something like, you must talk to Abigail. Why must I talk to Abigail? Instead of me, you must talk to Abigail. Line. Like, dude, what did she just say? Yeah. You must talk to... Uh, why must I talk to Abigail? And he couldn't... We got an hour through rehearsal with him just doing that. And I finally stopped and said, do you realize that more than half your lines are exactly responding to what was just said to you? Yeah. So just listen to what's being said. You have to make a mental connection with what the lines are. It's one of the things I learned from Susan Evans, who was the artistic director of EastEnders. Mm-hmm. She was sort of... She came from an academic background. So she was also a director and a teacher, and she would always say, if you have trouble remembering your lines, there's probably a psychological mm-hmm. connection or a break, and you have to ask yourself, why? What is it that's, you know, maybe there's some liminal thing. Maybe it deals with, I don't know, if it's, if, if it's a dialogue that deals with sex, you know, mm-hmm. what do you have to, you know, and it gets really, really cerebral, but there's usually something. But that's a very good thing. It's one of the things that drives a lot of directors crazy when they direct me as an actor is that I will, I will improvise on my feet, and I will mm-hmm. say, and I, and I'll be like, listen, I know my lines are wrong. Just give me the note, I'll fix it. Right. <laughs> this is what rehearsal is all about. But I'd rather do that than stop the process and say line mm-hmm. and and all that stuff. Well, this makes me realize I'm I'm always evolving a curriculum for how I teach, and. This makes me realize this is another place that would be fruitful to spend some time in. Because I, I agree with what you said about, you know, that sometimes it's because you're not making you're not making a connection. Something in you is keeping you from making a connection. Mm-hmm. But that's also a place where you can make this more yours by figuring out what is going on in the text that you can make a connection to. Exactly. So rather, rather than connecting it to you, how can you connect yourself to it? Right. And... <clears throat> Yeah, you know these are—they're not hard things to do. Yeah, my um, and of course got, these are kids, so they're not going to know about this stuff. <clears throat> well, the theater, ki- the freshman kids know, but the uh, the Shakespeare stuff, the Romeo and Juliet, those yeah. are uh, juniors and seniors. Mm-hmm. And I walked in the first day and I said, "You guys know about Scansion?" And they looked at me like I was nuts. And I said, "Everybody, <laughs> put your hand up! Ta da! Ta da! Ta da! Ta da! Ta da! Mm-hmm. Go through all your lines, mark every two syllables." That's right. And to be or not to be is not the question. See, it doesn't work. <laughs> Whether to, to noble to mind. No, nope, but, but that's the example I use. To be or not to be, that is the que. 
Shun, yeah. It's not a perfect line. Exactly, yeah. And But that is Shakespeare. And see, this gets into a whole other thing. This is Shakespeare directing from the grave. That's mm-hmm. what I call it. <laughs> uh, no, because it's intentionally breaking rhythm because mm-hmm. it's an important thing. He's asking a big... This is yeah. the core problem yes. that Hamlet is having is what should I do? Yeah. So to be or not to be very poetic. It, and that is the question. It deals with life or death, yeah. And then he shifts, you know, to mm-hmm. whether it be nobler in the mind, the mind blah, to blah, suffer, blah, blah, blah. blah. <clears throat> but that shift is kind of, it's sort of like going down a mountain road. Instead of you having a nice little even mm-hmm. thing, you suddenly got a hairpin turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've got to take that turn. And sometimes it's rhythmic and sometimes it's emotional. There's it's all kinds of ways to do it. Kind of like the rule of threes. Where you set up a pattern or a line, mm-hmm. and then you break it to bring attention to exactly yeah. right. And Shakespeare does that constantly. And the mistake people make is they do too much scansion, and they try to just make everything even, mm-hmm. and that just kills it. Your audience goes to sleep. Yeah, or they completely ignore it. I had one little girl who hit the first beat of every line, and I'm like, there are some lines in Shakespeare where that works, but mostly you're mm-hmm. going to find that you're missing something else in the line because you're putting too much emphasis on the first yeah. beat. It's one of those things where you have to, it's good to, <clears throat> It's good for line memorization. Like there's one that I do all the time before I go on stage. <clears throat> I cannot kill thee. Some, su- some sudden palsy doth beat down its hand. Its strength is gone, yet think tis not the love. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But you, don't, you wouldn't say that if you're on stage. Right. I cannot kill thee. Some sudden palsy doth beat down this hand. Yeah. Its strength is gone. But it helps me memorize. I mean, once, yeah. I've, done, once I've done the pattern in the memory, in, in the rehearsal process, yeah. then I can push that away and just focus on the lines and have a connection to the line. Yeah. No, it's, it's just one of the many tricks that mm-hmm. you teach. So I'm like, oh. And my problem is you threw me in to put these kids on their feet to do a scene. So I'm like, oh. That's if performance is the ultimate goal, then I'm not going to spend as much time being academic. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there's room for it. Anyway, all the kids that I've gotten to work with, I've done three sets of three scenes so far, mm-hmm. and all of them are like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" And especially there's one guy who's playing Friar Lawrence, and so he feels like he's not really a part of this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude. When we did the rhythm, because of the way the lines, there's a couple of, um, it's called enjambment, um, where one line butts up against another. Yeah. Mid-line, <clears throat> you know, the um, the two characters share, you know, a... a um, to a nunnery go, <clears throat> and then Ophelia goes, but what, what becomes of me or something yeah, like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. That rhythmically all works. You can be in an emotionally different place. You can do different pacing and whatever, but you still want it to be like a relay race. You need to pass that baton. You cannot drop the energy. Yeah. And when you do that, suddenly this kid perked up and he's like, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm in the scene. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's really important that you say your line because she actually ends her line on a weak syllable and his syllable, his first thing is the strong syllable. So it has to be a B, B. You right, know. exactly. And Neil, did you have any? Um, did you learn Shakespeare? Did you have it in, when you were in school? I uh, just read it. Actually, my dad taught Shakespeare. He taught, taught mm. English lit. Oh, is that right? For high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes I would just read because we had all of the books <clears throat> at the house. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I think I had the complete words. There was a lady that I was, uh, the girl that I was dating when I was in high school. I was fifteen. She was twenty years old and still in high school. That's wow. another story. <laughs> Performing but, arts. Yeah. Yeah. And she was a, well, she was a dancer, um, but she had the complete works of William Shakespeare and he was just collecting dust. <laughs> hmm. 
she just didn't open it up. I guess her parents were like, well, we're going to want you to get education. Right. And she was sort of spoiled. And, you know, she just didn't touch it. And I was like, oh, my God, you got it. She's like, you want it? Because I'm not. <laughs> wow. Uh, I uh, I don't think I got it from her, but um, mm-hmm. it was just a shame that she had it. And it was just collecting dust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there have been a couple of current events going on. Um, ironically, a lot of it deals with, you know, last week we did not talk because Jeannie was on a roll, so I didn't want to right. f- stop her flow. But um, the NFL, are, are you, everything okay? Someone? I'm okay up here. I may just have to get some tissue. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. You know, I've got this right here. Sure. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Um, okay, so we're, this is the eve of the Super Bowl, and of course the Super Bowl will have Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg oh, that's right. and Mary J. Blige. The halftime, yes. And it's going to be very, very black. And of course, hey, well, racial diversity, everything is great. Well, Brian Flores who got fired as a coach of the Miami oh, right. Dolphins, yes, is yes. suing the NFL. And I wonder, <laughs> could that have played into why the NFL is getting black? <laughs> well, but they already, I, they may have known it was coming. Lord knows he was making noise. Well, right, exactly. Because uh, there have been a couple of other coaches, like um, the, um, the former coach, Hugh Jackson, former coach of the Browns. Mm. Uh, you've got him and also uh, Brian Flores saying, mm. hey, I was paid to tank. I was paid oh, right. to lose. Yes, yes. Owners are, and of course, that damages your resume. It's like, hey, I yeah. want to be the coach. You had a 0 16 season. Right. Well, yeah. Why should we? And of course, an owner doesn't care because they got their first round draft pick because of it. Right. <laughs> so I'm wondering, and of course, Roger Goodell, this is after the allegations of mm-hmm. uh, Brian Flores. Oh, uh-huh. Basically says, well, you know, we're 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 doing the best we can, and you know, we we've got to try a little harder. And he's between a rock and a hard place because he is paid by the owners, right? Who are a bunch of white guys, right? Running the league. Yep. I wish it was more like Adam Silver. Remember the Donald Sterling situation, where Donald oh, Sterling, oh yes, yes, was uh, caught with a black girlfriend. Yet speaking down on mm-hmm. her, her hanging out with Banji Johnson. Right. Stop hanging out with these black people. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so race in the NFL, I, I just don't know. I, do you guys have a hot take at all? I mean, do you care? You're not football fans. You just don't give a damn. <laughs> well, it's not that. It's just more of the, you know, it's more, more of the, the same. The fact that anybody is shocked by these things is yeah. like, really, you're shocked. Wait, Mitch McConnell said something racist? You're shocked. Oh, really? Oh. Why would he say that? Where is he from again? Yeah, exactly. But also, so Aquafina. You know who Aquafina is? Aquafina is an um, Asian, Amer- I think she's Korean, American actress and comedian, mm-hmm. who's gr- brought up in New York. And uh, she, oh, speaks, right. she speaks with a black accent. Yo, That's what's what up, people y'all? Say, yeah, yeah, and yeah. she's part of the hip-hop community. Yep. Now she's being canceled or trying to be canceled because, hey, that's cultural inappropriation. Appropriation, yes. You can't speak like that. You're not I black. I like that cultural inappropriation. <laughs> a cultural appropriation? Inappropriation? Appropri- I don't know. No, it's I'm, appropriation. Yeah, but yeah. Inappropriate? <laughs> yeah. Well, but these I, are I, people I, who, yeah. a lot of these people are people who build their career on controversy, so... I hope it doesn't really affect her because she isn't. She is being true to what her brand is. This is what she's always been. Yeah. This is who she is. So right. Why and, are y'all tripping? And it's not like she's. I mean, when I, I, you know, I heard about this when. Remember when Bo Derek? I mean, we're dating ourselves. Mm-hmm. Ten, and she had the cornrows. Yes. And yeah. black women flipped out. Hey. Yes. She can't be wearing that. Right. And I was like, hey, that's makes us proud as black people. Even some white folks want to adopt what we're doing. Right. Well, that's always happening, but yeah. that's how you get into that issue. <laughs> yeah. I think 
so is this current? Because I yeah. remember reading like the a, Aquafina a thing a year just happened or this so week. ago. Yeah. No, there, there people had been grumbling about. about it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think there is kind of a difference between her like daily persona and where she goes to in skits. Sure. Um, oh, I did, I've never seen her skits. Yeah. And I, I, anyway, this is what I'm remembering from a year ago. I haven't come across the most recent. But mm-hmm. what I kind of thought was is she got the note, which, if, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of like the public, you know, kind of directing right. uh, your. And they were like, eh, that's a little bit too far. And right. so I, I assumed she kind of got the note and was going to tone it down a bit. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I mean, because, you know, we want it's not like we're saying, well, if you're Asian, act Asian or if you're black, act black, yeah, right. you know, Please don't. don't. Say that. Yes. <laughs> or if you're Native American, you know, you can't. Or, I mean, if you're not Native American, you can't wear Native American, you know, right. garb. Remember when yeah. kids used to wear? And matter of fact, I did when I, I wore an American Indian costume on Halloween. I had a dashiki, <coughs> and uh-huh. I, oh, I didn't. I it was in my closet, and Dexter had seen it, and yeah. so he had a dance thing, West African dance, and they told him to bring dashiki. So he brings it in, and the teacher's like, "Oh no, no you can't wear that," because the ones that have the cut off, the squared sleeve, mm-hmm. that's the male, and the ones that have the pointed sleeve, the sort oh, of wow. flared sleeve, uh-huh. that's female. I never knew that. That's what I've been wearing my whole life. It was mm. flared. What he was wearing? Yeah, it's flared. Okay, and um, they were saying he because, can't wear I, because I like it. I think it's prettier. So yeah. I, that's what I had. And then no, because traditionally that is for women. Women wear the flared one. Okay. Men wear a squared off okay. one. I went, oh, okay. Here's a lesson in appropriation. Now I feel really guilty. Yeah. <laughs> so I still have it in my closet, but I'm like, okay, I can never wear it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I hear it. Um, and so the last, I tried to squeeze a fun thing. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm sure you've heard oh this boy. one. It's yeah. Gestapo, oh, not yes. Gaspacho. Gaspacho, yes. <laughs> she tried to uh, tar and feather um, Nancy Pelosi mm-hmm. by saying that, I guess, uh, she's having, I don't know, Secret Service or somebody spying on Republicans. What, and um, what, it wasn't hab- a hibiscus corpus. <laughs> oh, my God. She, mis- she mispronounced <clears throat> habeas corpus? Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Well, listen, Marjorie, you know, was it Georgia who elected her or, you know, some... Uh, I forget who she represents. Some place where there's a bunch of people throwing money at, Mm -hmm. you know, a a not not even identified uh, um, opponent. Yeah. Because we're ready to go. We're so done, please. And aren't you guys embarrassed enough yet? How much more does she have to do? Yeah. And the very last one, I didn't even put this on here, Sarah Palin. So Sarah Palin is suing the New York oh, Times. What's up with that? Oh, this I is only fun. heard the first day. So it's, it's gone to the jury. This mm-hmm. is a civil trial. Uh, basically, um, so remember Marjorie Taylor, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, Gabrielle Giffords. Yes. Former representative of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was shot. Yes. Yeah. Luckily survived by the yeah. grace of God. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, immediately after that, Sarah Palin has this ad. I guess she's running for, or no, she's... she's. No, the ad, I thought the ad predated, because I thought that was the issue, was oh, the you New know York what? Times was you saying know, this guy was influenced by that to go attack her. Yeah, so basically her or her uh, political action committee, PAC, put out an ad basically saying, we need to target these Democrats, and they had... Um, crosshairs. Crosshairs. Yeah. Identifying who they want to yep. so-called, air quotes, kill. Yeah. 
So the New York Times says, hey, the shooter was directly affected by this, and Sarah Palin has to be careful about her message. Right. And Sarah basically sued the Times. Actually, the article, the, the Times, uh, this was in 2017. Yeah. So the article didn't even come out until 2017. It didn't come out in 2011. Uh-huh. There were people who didn't make noise about it, but the Times, that was 2017. And that was a key element in the case. So Sarah Palin was actually looking good to, you know, she got on the stand. She was like, you know, I feel just so crushed and, you know, I felt so bad for the victims and I just didn't mean to do this. And I was, you know, how politicians are. We're right, very right. aggressive. Yes. And, and she was doing well. And she was talking about how she missed, you know, funding because of, you know, this oh, right, thing. Right. And she was like, the Times have done this before. And they, and they were they were attacking me again. And her lawyer was like, shh. <laughs> because there's no evidence that the Times wrote the article in 2011. Uh-huh. And so in Cross, the, rep- the lawyers for the Times says, so what is this other article you're talking about? And she doubled down. She's like, yeah, they've been doing this for a long time. It's like, well, can you show us the evidence? Uh-huh. And she was like, "Well, well, no, I, I really can." And well, I mean, I must have been. And she, her case just totally went south after that. Oh, good. Which was which, oh, good. And and the thing is, it's not you know she was just on the Masked Singer. You know she still oh. is viable, and yeah. you know she's even got a new boyfriend. She kicked who what is it? Trip Palin or I forget what her 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 um her former beau was or whatever. Mm-hmm. And but she's. She's somebody who I just keep <clears throat> hoping will go away, and somehow she doesn't. Yeah, but this this is the, this is the Republican Party. I mean, you know, and, right now, and you think, well, can't people be smart enough to realize what's going on and how you know ridiculous they sound? But well, it just keeps going. But yeah. see, I, I I hate the and I want to get your view on this too, Neil. <laughs> I hate the attack that people are stupid. I think people are really frustrated with a system that has been broken and corrupt for a long time. And they do not see the representatives in power doing anything about it. So they are real susceptible to any other message. Now, it's a stupid message. But I think, like with Donald Trump, it was so obvious that the man was lying mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, And these people aren't stupid. So they know he's lying, but there's a kernel of truth in what he's saying. The system is broken. The media misrepresents things. Yeah. Everybody's corrupt. Everybody's on the take. You know, mm-hmm. And... Because you get things like Pelosi not willing to, having to be shamed yeah. into saying, oh, okay, maybe we shouldn't be able to buy stock mm. while we're sitting, you know, yeah, officials. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's what those, I think we have to recognize that's what those people are responding to. Because then we can have a conversation with them and say, you're right, and that needs to be fixed. Don't vote for crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get you another option. And I totally understand the the apprehension of the moderate politician, you know, because both Republicans and Democrats, there is this unhealthy relationship between, hey, I need funding to right. run my race, <clears throat> which means I have these unlikely, you know, relationships with these mm-hmm. folks who we're trying to regulate and stop mm-hmm. and still do a public service. Yeah. So I understand people, but, you know, you, I don't know, I have a hard time believing Nancy Pelosi is the problem. Um, no, or, or, I, I think she's just a symptom. <laughs> yeah. But Neil, uh, how do you think about all of this? And do you think We'll ever get to a post-polarization or some bipartisan... There was some bipartisanship. There was the um, anti-sexual harassment bill that was passed on a bipartisan level. And signed, I think. And yet Gretchen Thomas, Gretchen... What is her name? Gretchen Carlson. Oh. Hugging Chuck Schumer. She was the former um, talking head of Fox News. Oh. 
and before she was sexually harassed by right Roger Ailes, <laughs> Roger mm-hmm. Ailes, and yeah. then spearheaded this bill, and of course she got bipartisan support. And Chuck Schumer's right next to her, saying, "Hey, you know, we did this for all women, including you, Gretchen." And Gretchen is hugging the person that who years ago was attacking. Yeah. So yeah. I, there I don't is. I think we're ever going to get out. There of this is some era. bipartisanship, but I don't know. Can we get to a, a post-partisanship? I mean, can we? Is there any? Is there any hope for you know some sort of peace within Congress? You think? Oh man. <laughs> I mean, we hit you with the big questions, don't we? Yeah, I mean, misinformation is a huge part of the problem um and the monetization of messaging on facebook and these platforms is just making it worse yeah so um until that kind of gets kind of clamped down on i don't see a solution um yeah yeah agreed um but but yeah i mean politicians have always kind of done this as you said they need funding and then they the people that fund them during campaigns expect payback on day one in oh, office. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I thought that Obama would have had, because he did have a solution in 2008. If you remember, he had apps on phones and he, you yeah. know, instead of going to big time contributors, maybe there were big time contributors who gave it to his campaign, oh, there were, but-, but a lot of them were small donations mm-hmm. that just came over and over and over again. Right. And he was outspending McCain and yeah. outspending even um, uh, Hillary yeah. during the primaries just by those, you know, small campaigns. And I don't see why any Republican or Democrat can say, Hey, here's my app. Instead of me going to the big, well, time I think everybody's using that now. Cause that's unfortunately. So on Twitter, all you've got to do is be a Democrat anywhere running against a Republican incumbent. Mm. And I'm like, yes, I will follow you. Well, almost immediately, mm-hmm. I will get a message. And all but one has hit me up for money. And the last guy didn't. He <clears> just <throat> said, thank you so much for following me. I really appreciate it. That was all his message said. And I wrote him back immediately. And I said, and thank you for not asking me for money. Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you for what he responded was more what I want to hear a politician saying. I'm hoping we can do this. I'm sure we can fix that. This is what I'm running for. That's what he hit. That was his message. And I'm like, please, because the rest of them, I just end up blocking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I want them to get their numbers up. But yeah, yeah. they're like political, them. political panhandlers. You know, yeah. Can you well, some? but Obama opened the door to this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's another problem issue, which is gerrymandering, though. Of yes. course. Yeah. I mean, we're assuming here in this discussion, like there's fair races, right, um, going on for mm-hmm. public right. office, um, and the Republican Party has just been not playing fair. Yep. Basically, for a long time, like they of have course. a lot of people working on looking at every place mm-hmm. and breaking up those blue, yeah. you know, counties yeah. and. Uh, like they're really like or squeezing it's them like all risk together. it's like their board game like yeah, right. folks yeah, playing yeah. to win yeah <clears throat> like towing the line going yeah. over and, lu- and luckily there's some and you talked about this last week there's some judges who are like nope you can't do that well that's not- but then the supreme court overturned mm. one oh. was it alabama i think what a shame like yeah. come on y'all so- yeah it's horrible. Let's let's get into an origin story. Neil Harkins, who looks a lot like Rick Rubin. I just want to say, uh, do, you, do you get that a lot? Who's Rick Rubin? He uh, he used to run Def Jam Records. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. A white, I think he's Jewish guy who mm-hmm. I guess hooked up. And this is this is take me back when I was a kid. Uh, well, <clears throat> when I went to school in New York, there was you know of course you had um, 
who are the rappers like Run um, DMC? Run D- yeah, Run DMC and the Beastie Boys <laughs> and Public Enemy. They were produced all by uh, this white guy Rick Rubin, who I yeah. think was doing it while he was in college, and you know, it just blew up to a big Damn. thing. So, yeah. but I don't know if you get that. Do you, <laughs> that you look like I, Rick Rubin? I got to admit, this well, the beard is. Uh, my wife was on the East Coast for two months, uh, taking care of her mother who broke her ankle mm. uh, right before Christmas. So. Um, yeah, this is just, uh, I'm going to take care of this any day now. Yeah. <laughs> but, also, but also the long hair, you know, because Rick Rubin, uh, he also sports, uh, I think they're uh, dreadlocks. Uh, you don't mm. have dreadlocks, but, you know, uh, yeah, the long do. hair. Yeah. <laughs> but that's cool. Tell us an origin story. Uh, where were you born and raised? And uh, I don't know if the theater bug bit you how when you were in. We, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. How, how did you get into theater? Okay. Um, so I was born on the East Coast, outside of Philadelphia. Um Let's see. Uh, moved into Philadelphia downtown uh, for college. Um, and then a couple years after that, moved to L.A. for one year and then up to the Bay Area. Did you go to Temple? Wow. What, uh, which school did you go to? I went to Drexel. My okay. wife went to Temple. Got it. Um, ah. And uh, I did like a little bit of acting in like school plays, like sixth grade. I had the lead in a play. Uh, oh, what? But what? What? It was, I mean, it was Catholic school. So oh, okay. it was, uh, you know. So Christian plays? Yeah, it was... POV shift to the innkeeper on mm. that fateful night. Um, I, I, I've done that one. I did yeah. it in seventh grade. <laughs> totally. Um, so, yeah, I kind of got out of, of it, uh, well, got into other interests and stuff like that, music and whatnot, and, um, but had always been kind of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, I guess, um, let's see, and, and going to theater. Um, but then um, karaoke is a, a hobby uh, yeah, that I enjoy, and that's how I met Norman. Yeah, was it at the alley that you guys met? No, no. heck no, 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 that's not karaoke. No, no, <laughs> this was this was real karaoke. Yeah, was it Melody or before? Or before? No, uh, you guys were Melody. Yeah, Melody. It was right yeah. after. I, I was, never. There was a Berkeley crew, and our shop, our spots kind of mm-hmm. shut down in Berkeley, and folks looked for new places. And the mm-hmm. Melody, if you haven't been, the Melody is gorgeous. I love the Melody. Yeah. So you two were sort of talking because this was right around when you were trying to develop the uh, Richard Wright project. Yeah. Richard Talavera's thing. And that's how the two of you met. Yeah. I I met Richard and you both there. Um, Mm -hmm. And this was about 15 years ago or so. And we would just hang out and talk. And uh, like oftentimes uh, people would camp on the tables. Like it was very crowded around those days. Um, So we would share a table and stuff and Mm -hmm. just talk. And then at one point you handed me the flyer for the stage reading for the Richard Wright Project. I was like, oh, I had no idea you were into theater. And so I came to that. And that was kind of my seeing how the sausage is made. um, Yeah, yeah. Of where... It's a little bit scrappy. It's got rough mm-hmm. edges, but there's still that like spark of like this project. Like there's something that really grabs you in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's very inspiring. I mean, you and I were talking off mic when we were waiting for Norman. Mm-hmm. That because uh, I would think that the an audience member or someone who's from the outside, you only get the spark when you see the finished product. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it's like you know, if you're a kid and you're walking into the kitchen, you know, mom is the dinner ready yet? Is yeah. the, is the cake fixed? It's right. Like, no, it's not. Just get out of here. But for someone to be excited watching yeah. the process. It was that halfway point, like the mixing link of how do you get from here to here. Right. Like I've, I've got an idea, and then people performing it on stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, did that inspire you to write? Because, you know, that's, it, it may be the reason why you're doing the, uh, the Berkeley Rep and mm. you're writing and you're involved in the Playwright Center for San Francisco. Yeah. I, so absolutely inspired me. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do this someday. 
And so you and I talking mm-hmm. there every week when you would come in, I'd be like, "Okay, give me a new play to read." Right, give me a play, give me a play, <laughs> give me a play <laughs> to read. Constant. Yes, nice. And uh, so he, Norman, was just kind of casually <clears throat> designing this curriculum for me. Of like, he was like, well, "All right, now I you read this." I kept thinking, now "Okay, well, oh, there's this play. It's got a weird like. Mm-hmm. Did I give you the Korean play, uh, Han and the Dread Gazebo?" No. Oh gosh, that's a wonderful play. Okay. Um, just structurally different plays. I, yeah. you know, I could see what you were, resp- and we talk about them. Yeah, I yeah. could hear what you were responding to. I'm like, oh, then I should give you this. <laughs> it was literally a master class in like kind of drama from this. Yeah, story. and it's funny, Norman. You talk about you know like not. We've had discussions about you know like teaching acting or teaching theater, mm-hmm. and you're sort of conducting your own class with it, with a student of of one, mm-hmm. uh, like a curriculum. Like I wouldn't even think if someone asked me, hey, how do I get involved in theater? Or you know, what's the introduction? What's the first play I should read? Uh, I wouldn't even know. Um, Jeez. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's it's tricky because you want. Oh, did I give you God of Carnage? Oh, absolutely. And I yeah, went yeah. to go see it. So I would yes, go yes. to every one of Norman's oh, nice. like, shows. So God yeah. of Carnage. M- so M- that Neva. would be it, because that's an easy one to get into, I yeah. think. It's it's a simple domestic yeah. drama, com- yeah. dramedy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that would be an easy one. I mean, it really depends. I mean, when it comes to me, I know when I started theater, but when I really kind of got the bug was seeing Rosencrantz and Guildensterner did. Yeah. Because for like almost the first 10 minutes of the play, almost nothing happens. And yet it was so exciting and engaging. And I was like, I have no idea where the story is going or what it's about, but I am fascinated with this. And ever since then, I'm like, God, you really can step on stage with almost nothing to do. And if you really commit to it, mm-hmm. yeah. the audience will, will buy it. It reminds me of um, Waiting for Godot. I think it's Waiting for Godot. Basically, yeah. just two people on stage, and you know, like yeah. there's really nothing to do, but yet there's dialogue and mm-hmm. there's something happening, and they're waiting for something that isn't going to happen. But you know, there's the anticipation. You could still, it really is right. You know, you're creating a play out of almost nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And if you yeah. could do that with nothing, then you know, add other th- yeah. elements, and of course, it can happen. Yeah. 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 So. Um, so you're in the. Um, so I take it you're taking Gary Graves' uh, playwright uh, playwriting class right now. Yeah, yeah. Is there a play are that you, you brought in, are in? You in again? You're taking another session. Uh, yeah, I I keep taking it compulsively, okay. <laughs> uh, just because I love it. Um, but yeah, we have our own um, like the five of us uh, kind of alumni from his class or whatever. Nice. Uh-huh. That have kind of paired. Um, oh, so as <laughs> I was talking about earlier, so Gary's class was fantastic. Um, what I had been trying to write prose, but just feeling really isolated and hem- hemming and hawing over every single word mm. and um, and just wound up, COVID started and uh, I wanted to kind of support actors. So I started watching like Zoom plays of actors doing readings on mm-hmm. Zoom and stuff like that. And then happened to look at the Berkeley Rep class. Um, I was actually going to take one on, like, looking for one on monologues or whatever, just to assist mm. with pre- presenting at work yeah. or mm. whatever, giving presentations. Um and then I saw playwriting. I was like, "Oh hell, all right, I'm just gonna do that." Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and I like I, I was expecting more of like what I was getting with Norman of like, you know, uh, having a, a playlist to re- a syllabus to read and mm-hmm. then discussing or whatever. Gary's like none of that. He was like, "Here's what's a play you like," and he was like, "Well, other people might not like that, so it's all very subjective." He was like, "You bring in pages, and we're gonna discuss. We're gonna read them aloud. Mm-hmm. You know, sign." the roles out to your other fellow writers mm-hmm. um and then do it bring in 10 pages next week and yeah i was like ah, okay yeah um 
and it was fantastic. Yeah, it's exactly the same thing that I went through because I I took the class in 2016, and Gary is very particular about not uh, my my assessment of how Gary presents how how Gary does his class is that. He doesn't want to present you with, here's the template of how to write a play. Because everyone has their own template. Everyone has their own concept right. of how it's done. Even Scott Munson, and I had a, a conversation with him mm-hmm. recently. And he says, you know, we're too westernized as far as our concept of, of thinking about what a play is or what a movie is and all that stuff. We need to get out of our, con- you know, our comfort zone and let's focus on how it's done, let's say, in Africa how it's done in, in Asia or mm-hmm. Korea mm. or the no theater of, of Japan <clears throat> in OH. Yeah. And, and think of different ways. So I think Gary's uh, class is basically, he'll tell you some of the basic concepts, uh, like that, that'll be day one. Mm-hmm. But then he's basically like, listen, you do your thing and bring it in, and then we'll talk about it. We'll talk about what's good, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about what you may want to focus on. And I think that's a good way of doing it because a lot of one of the criticisms that we have, we talked about it on the show, is that you walk into a school and they say, this is the way, as if it were the Bible, if it were like a, we've compared it to even a cult. It's like mm. my way, my concept, whether it's Meisner or Stella yeah. Adler, mm-hmm. this is the way. Remove everything that you had in your memory. Yeah. This is the way. Mm-hmm. There's also the cult of no way, too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I took uh, Kate Ryan's class at Studio ACT, which mm-hmm. is kind of about that. And she's uh, kind of a student of Mac Wellman in New York. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and I definitely, uh, it was a great class. It was really good. And that was actually more of what I was expecting when I went into Gary's so when yeah. we read a bunch. But it was a lot of avant garde stuff. It was the class is called like Playwriting Breaking the Rules, mm. like, um, which it's good to have. Um, but I, yeah, I definitely feel like a lot of his proteges are, it's just all about doing something just for the sake of doing something completely oh, in a bizarre direction. Hmm. I suppose uh, that could work if you have an audience for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you know, you can always disrupt the audience, but really, you know, an audience is the consumer, you know, mm-hmm. they, you got to give them a product, you Absolutely. know, you may not want to fix burgers, but if the audience wants burgers, mm-hmm. <laughs> then yeah. you better find an audience that doesn't. Yeah. So. Well, and there's so many people, you know, we, we live in a capitalist society, and even before capitalism, even mm-hmm. Shakespeare is writing for an audience. Yes. And when something, is, you know, the best example is um, Henry IV, I think it's Henry IV Part Two, mm-hmm. uh, which is a sequel, so already you've got a popular thing, and Falstaff is a popular character, and he kills him off. Mm. Mm. And he is so popular that he brings him back in um, <laughs> The Merry Wives of Winter. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> like, yeah. People love this character. Uh, we're just going to put him in a totally different right. situation and not worry about the fact that he's dead. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, what, and, and of course, it's the reason Disney is a multi-billion dollar yeah. organization. Well, and, but think of like um, The Simpsons, one of the, sure. the most successful animated shows ever. Yeah. Um, that was him going, I don't want, my characters are life in hell. I don't want exactly. to, Matt to do Groening. life in hell. Yeah. So instead he says... Oh, I'll just give you some knockoff of a you know sitcom dysfunctional sitcom family. Yeah, bam. Yeah, totally Huge. works. And even the Flintstones, even further back, the Flintstones is basically the honeymoon Honey in, yeah. in comic book form. Yep, yeah. Yep. So Neil, um, when you think about a play, of course you're a budding a new uh, but new budding playwright. I know as a, as a budding playwright myself, there are things that I want to talk about. There are things in my system mm-hmm. that I want to. There's a story that I want to get out. What about you? What What are the things that you want to write about? 
Oh man. Uh, so it's great. I have text files that are just full of seeds. Really? Story. Yeah. That mm-hmm. I've been collecting for years, mm-hmm. like while I was writing and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, and actually one of the first things I brought into Gary's class, cause I was still kind of getting the hang of writing for the stage, even though I'd been reading it, I was very intimidated by mm-hmm. it. One of the first things I did was a piece of prose that I had. I had a chapter where one character tries to convince the other character to do do something that is completely like opposite to mm-hmm. what they're you know what they're all about mm-hmm. and i was like oh that, that's tough i was like all right i'll just distill it down to the dialogue and i just wrote that out of the scene and it helped it totally helped me like grasp it um yeah so it's really cool to try a multidisciplinary kind of writing at, yeah at different types um and some of the scripts that um uh that kate had us read for her class were um this kind of writing but then performed like live um mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting and also in interesting formatting mm-hmm. um i think alicia harris's is god is really cool like different font sizes to, oh, to provide huh. emphasis uh-huh. like where the actors can really emphasize yeah and you know of course depending upon when you because getting into the business of playwriting sending it to an actual organization mm-hmm. sometimes they're very finicky about that they're like yeah, no 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 that's true well and that's i mean good god this this is the part of this that i wish i knew more about the business side of of playwriting and yeah. getting your work out because what when you get to that point what you really need to do is you need to be able to write a good synopsis you need to be able to write a good blurb mm-hmm. and just be able to Find out what's going to intrigue them. Yeah. So it's funny because with the Baldwin piece, every time I end up talking to somebody new about it, I, um, oh, God, that's new. That was new this week. Yeah. So, and, and Neil and I have been talking about this. I am in Playgrounds Innovator Incubator Program. Mm-hmm. And so we had our first meeting this week. And they said, so Norman, and you know, some, there were only two of us that were new to the group. The other folks were returning. Mm-hmm. So Norman, tell us about your project. I'm just like, rah, rah, it's this and it's that, and okay, I've been talking for like almost ten minutes. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but I, but I mean, hey, but that, that's good because you know you've you've got something to talk about and you know how to, and you've been. I mean, we can actually talk about the Baldwin project because this is sort of an extension of the well, I don't know, an extension, but it's a it's a break off from the Richard Wright project, which yeah, it's, it's, it really is a sequel. I mean, yeah. in in many ways, it is. Yeah, um, and. In terms of its structure, um, it will be kind of a sequel to the Richard Wright project. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, a little more. Well, possibly a little more streamlined. I, I really can't say. What we're doing this next week mm-hmm. is um, it's a sneak preview, is what I'm calling it. So we're yeah. taking a scene from the Richard Wright project and a potential scene from Baldwin, mm-hmm. a um, staging of Giovanni's room. Yeah, you know, his second novel. Yeah, um, with some commentary mixed in. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in that sense, it will be. But I want the subject matter to kind of define what we're going to do, and so it's actually got me very nervous because <laughs> um, with Richard Wright, the work is mm-hmm. huge, and the analysis of the work is huge. <clears throat> yeah, but Baldwin is at his core analysis. That's who Baldwin is. Baldwin. Yeah observes the world and comments on it so how do you talk about the commenter yeah you know how do you make that story and that's what's going to be the challenge i've got so many thoughts about the richard wright project and it's ironic that we have you here neil because you know it was the richard wright project that brought Mm -hmm. you to norman and you know sort of brought you into theater 
And 10, 15 years later, I saw the picture that you had on Facebook, Norman. Uh-huh. You with the afro and you right. know, me and, with and the... All the... <laughs> but it was 2005, and I had to like research. Like, when did we do this? It's like, wow, that was 15 years ago. And, of course, mm-hmm. time yeah. flies. My right. dad says, after 30 years old, the, the years just go. Mm-hmm. And you blink your eyes like five years. But 15 years later, we're still... Yeah. The, the flame still burns. 14. 14. No, you're right. 15. Oh, yeah. God, 2007. Yeah. Mm. Ooh. Gosh. You know, with Richard Wright, I mean, these are black men. You know, if you don't know anything about, let's say, Richard Wright, let's say if you yeah. were in high school and you had to read um, Native Son. Native Son. Or Black Boy would be black, more likely. Yeah, Black Boy, the autobiography. Or, or Uncle Tom's Children, yeah. all of the, the little the short, short stories. stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Then it becomes, then, you know, let's say if you didn't read any of that, these are black men trying to define themselves yep. through art. Yep. Just like you and me, Norman, and, yep. and myself, and just like everyone else who's trying to define themselves. Like, hey, I'm not just going to work nine to five. I'm going to do something. I'm not going to let life define myself. Right. Yeah. You know, if America had its way, then, you know, Richard Wright would be picking cotton or, you know, yeah, just exactly. a sharecropper. He would never have gotten out of high school. Yeah. He right. never would have gotten out of Mississippi. And he never, get, never would have gotten to Paris. Right. The same thing with James Baldwin. So you have... Richard Wright, so that story was an individual going to New York, writing, being right. um, picked up by a communist community. Chicago. Which in, Chicago. Well, yeah. communist still. No, but I mean, yeah, he yeah. went to Chicago. That's yeah. where he met the communists. Right, exactly. And then as he became a known writer, he right. goes to New York briefly. Then he gets kicked out, and he, but he, he basically finds himself. He yeah. finds his, his uh, I guess, his uh, language or his... His, I, his way I feel of, like he never did. I feel yeah. like he kept struggling because the last thing he publishes is a book of haiku. That's right. Of all things in the world. I'm like, mm. uh, okay, black man, black American mm-hmm. haiku? Yeah. <laughs> but he reminds me so much. I mean, I'm not going to compare him to my father, but there mm. are black men who are like, I know what the world is and I know where I stand in, let's say, my yeah. universe and yeah. I can validate myself this way. And then all of a sudden the world changes and the world evolves with Richard Wright, yeah. sorry, there's Martin Luther King Jr. who has yeah. a better way of communicating what the black people need. Yeah. And he's leading a movement that will actually have results. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Richard. Mm-hmm. Um, he has James Baldwin even criticizing his work. Right. And he's only, not just because he hates him, not because he hates him, because it's just he's just analyzing, well, which is what he is, Baldwin does. He is using, and he says he is using it. This is the foundation that he is building his work off of. Yeah is Richard Wright. I mean, that's why he fought so long to say, I am not criticizing him. Right. Because I am, you know, yeah. he is my mentor. He, I respect him. Mm-hmm. But it's time to say something more. Now that you've said that, yeah. what what's there left to say? And, you know, to get back to your point, I feel like we all find, I mean, like, I don't identify as a playwright because I don't know if there's a story I want to tell in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always happy to work with somebody else's words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and to, to try and find that. <clears throat> and I think that dives into James Baldwin because he really, like a protege, piggybacks, he absorbs these writings of mm-hmm. Richard Wright and I think also Langston Hughes and all of these others. Well, and, and the big white writers of the era, um, he always cites, and I can't remember his name. Oh, gosh. Is it um, Hemingway? No, no, but it's that era. Um, uh, can't think of it. the The one I it's obvious to me is mm-hmm. uh, Faulkner. Oh yes, William um, Faulkner. William yeah. Faulkner, because his yeah. first novel, "Go Tell It on the Mountain," is told from four different points of view. Mm-hmm. It's very much Faulknerish. It's yeah, it's Sound of the Fury. It's very much inspired by that. Yeah, and 
James Baldwin, he reminds me so much of the younger generation as of right now. Like I yes. see a little bit of my sister Nicole. You know, my sister Nicole is very young. You know, she grew up in the Internet age and always inquisitive, always asking questions and also criticizing not to yeah. badger you, right. but to say, hey, you know, there's, there's something wrong with this or I don't think you thought this thing through. Right. Just a new, fresher way of thinking, which can irritate you if you're an older person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Richard was irritated by James Baldwin. But Baldwin right. is just trying to find himself. Yeah. He's His trying voice. to identify yeah. what the world is and, and, and where black people stand in this world. Yeah. And that's why, like I suggested the, uh, the book, which talks about the, the fire. Is it the fire? Fire next time? The fire mm-hmm. next time. Mm-hmm. Where he has this debate with William um, Buckley. Buckley, yeah. Because he's getting onto, he's found his voice. He's getting onto the stage. Yep. He's come back from Paris to America to yep. say, hey, listen, I've got something to say about black America. I think I have, you know, a way of looking at it and mm-hmm. a way of articulating it right. in a way that no one else can. Mm-hmm. And he becomes the voice of the civil well, rights movement. Well, the way that yeah. nobody else has. Has, mm-hmm. exactly. That was yeah. the thing. He was he was given the opportunity. You know, these national magazines are mm-hmm. going, yeah, we want you to go to the South and chronicle what's going on. Right, right. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Throw you in the lion's yeah. den. But yeah. he does it. And mm-hmm. and it's it's a wonderful thing. And he does it at the expense of his, I want to say at the expense of his sexuality. He has to hide the fact Kind of. We can, we can debate. I it. mean, that's. I mean, mm-hmm. that's what's neat about him is anybody who knew him knew. Yeah. Um, but he never outright outright says says it. Well, he always seems to me Baldwin always knew what he wanted to be talking about, mm-hmm. and so whenever the conversation was taken off in another direction that he felt was distracting, that was not going to be useful, he was masterful. I, there's so many times where he talks about. If my wife and my children, blah, 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 I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, we got hypothetical here. We got seriously hypothetical all of a sudden. Yeah. But to the day he died, he kept talking about his family and his children became his nieces and nephews. And he would articulate that. Mm-hmm. But he was saying that same sort of thing when he was younger. Yeah. Because what he's saying is, as a society, what are we dealing with? What is it that, what are the, what are the issues and the questions that we are grappling with? So let's not get lost by the messenger. Yeah. And I think that's one of the challenges, and it's been tricky to try and find material around that. Yeah. And it's interesting. Yeah, because I understand that concept. Don't focus on me and my personal life. This is really about the movement Mm -hmm. and what's happening out there and what, you know, the black people need, you know, the young folks back in his time and and, and even now. Yeah. Some will say... uh, what are you saying? You're going to stay in the closet or this is the sacrifice, you know, the proverbial cross that you'll, right. you know, that you'll die on, on behalf of us. Mm-hmm. Well, what about being brave? I mean, that's something that we talked about that I, t- I explored in Foreman in Paris. Mm-hmm. And I think Giovanni's Room, I mean, the very book Giovanni's Room yeah. talks about who he is, but not, but he doesn't state himself. But he's masked. He, yes. It's, he's, his main character a white, is a white man. Yeah. David. Yeah. David. Yeah. And and so even though he is speaking Baldwin's truth, yeah, it, it isn't quite. 
I yeah. Mean, I don't know. I'm excited to have Neil involved in the project because I'm excited to turn these kinds of casual conversations into, because they always have been, fruitful. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we've, we've been talking a lot. So, yeah. Neil, what, what does the project mean to you? I mean, we, you, Norman and I, as black men, are, are talking yeah. about, you know, like the struggle and how it compares from then to now. But how, how do you see it from your perspective? Uh, um, so I'm expecting more of what grabbed me in the Richard Wright project. Um, which was, I think, uh, Richard wanted to call it like a mosaic or something, yeah. a literary mosaic. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, like a uh, tapestry or mosaic. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what I saw in the, the those readings um, were scenes of the writer uh, from their life and then like dipping into a scene from one of the books. <clears throat> right. and it was really also just a, a very compelling story technique where you see how real life affects the, the characters that then come out in these you know fictions mm -hmm. um, and then what those fictions like can actually like change people's perspectives um, so yeah I think I think it's going to be great um, <laughs> and, it, and it was really my you know when I first got involved in before the dream it was really my first foray because this is really word for word that's it the, is. The it is. Yeah. It's very much. Uh, well, it's it's a hybrid even of what they do because they are much more strict than I was at that time. Yeah. I mean, I was when I did their work. I appreciate the the technique. You you keep the literature. You use a literary source and you keep it pure as mm -hmm. pure as you can. Yeah. And we weren't doing that. We were intentionally mixing sources. Yes, which is interesting too. You brought up the point of. Um, because it is verbatim, it's more transcription. Yeah. And th so that's like a kind of tagger qualifier for certain mm -hmm. submission to places and other things. Oh, yeah. No, like, like um, the solo fest that a Playground is doing now. Yeah. Richard, <clears throat> as we were working on this stuff last summer, Richard said, as we would talk about or read some of the Baldwin out loud, Richard said, I would be happy just to hear you read Baldwin. And I'm like, mm. well, I would love to read Baldwin, but Baldwin didn't get to my age. So, yeah. um, how, and he's like, no, I think, you know, old man Baldwin, it became a running joke with us. Old mm. man Baldwin. It'd be neat to hear old man Baldwin commenting on this. And I'm like, yeah, um, yeah, okay. But how's that going to work? You know, how are we going to yeah. make that, um, and that is one of the interesting challenges. The challenges of this piece, there are three that I can see big challenges. One is female representation. We are going to have mm. to work hard oh, to get that. Because yeah. a gay man, at a time when it's illegal to be gay, mm -hmm. if you are in a community where you are comfortably mm -hmm. allowed to be yourself, yeah. then the females in your life are limited and at a time when women's roles in society in general were yeah. still fairly limited. I was going to ask you, are, are there any uh, references to his mother? Because he was close to his mother, wasn't he? There, His writing is full of references to his mother, but yeah. not as she a died, speaking though. character. I, I don't know when. I think yeah. fairly early. Yeah. I mean, he write, what's weirder is that he writes about his father, who is actually his stepfather, and his death. Mm. But... But so mm -hmm. one is trying to deal with women. Two is they're just those periods where, so we all basically know James Baldwin from that period of his beginning writing. Because I think Go Tell on the Mountain, I think, is done by mm -hmm. the time he goes to Paris. Uh, yeah, I think um, so. He gets to Paris broke. 
He cranks out Giovanni's room. He starts writing. He gets some offers to come back and do these magazine articles, and that's what brings him back to America and gets him very much deeply involved in the civil rights movement. Okay, that's that. we kind of all know that. Yep. There's a decade in there where he's in Turkey. Oh, hmm. interesting. And yeah. you don't know about that, but there's a book, thank God, and so we'll be reading it. Hmm. Um there's that, and then there's um, just what is, in the same way that we dealt with Richard Wright, Richard Wright is known for Native Son. That's really the big hurrah with Richard Wright. At the time, Richard Wright was known because we were having a Red Scare, so he was one of the names that they could always throw out. Yeah, and because he was out of the country by that point, they were free to attack him and make him a boogeyman. He didn't have to deal with it because he was in Paris. Um, but he became very internationally involved. He really was trying to have a, a, a more political, global political effect. So that was neat to kind of bring out in the play. And then the last 12 years of his life, you know, that period, um, when he gets sick those last couple of years, mm-hmm. and is it the CIA or is it some other agency? You know, was he killed? What's going on? Is he paranoid or is he not? And it's weird because it's not just him saying it. Other people around him are saying it. And you get those stories like Ollie talking about being at a bar. Mm -hmm. And they all knew that that was the bar where the government, the American agents were hanging out. Wasn't there a black dude who was hanging out? Yeah, I forget the dude's name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we don't have any of that information for Baldwin. Baldwin's last years are at his... Yeah, I don't know what to call it, Chaise Baldwin, whatever, this place that is now um, the French Riviera. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's in the south of France, and oh, at that point it was just sort of, he was back in France. Interesting. And at that point, this was off the beaten path. This wasn't a big thing, but he was kind of part of what made it become something, because people like Nina Simone were dropping by. Yeah. Uh, Miles was stopping by. They would play there. He was inviting painters to come and just be yeah. there. There were grounds you know, and gardens, and uh, very French. You know, it's, it's interesting, because it's almost, uh, I had two thoughts. Number one, uh, well, three thoughts. Turkey, if he went back to Turkey, that was just around the ter- time when Turkey was uh, emerging as its own independent country. Uh-huh. Out, out, you know, because it was the Ottoman Empire, and then I guess sure. after World War II. Right. All of these countries becoming independent, become and Turkey Europe, becomes yeah. itself. So that's interesting. Maybe he was a, a part of that. But also, at the latter part of James Baldwin's life, he's on the Dick Cavett show. He's on the Tonight Show. He is doing all sorts this of... This is yeah. another source for us, is yeah. all these interviews mm-hmm. that are gorgeous, but they're kind of their own thing. So you find yourself going... You have to kind of cherry pick. So of the viewings that I've done already, I have pages and pages of notes just going through time stamping. Mm. Oh, he said something about this. Oh, he said something about that. Oh, yeah. that's a cool, yeah. cool quote. Um, what is all that going to turn into? I don't know. Um, I would say, and I'm... I loved your idea of, of <clears throat> giving the op- option of people in the audience uh, standing in as someone asking questions at one of those. Well, that was the Richard thing. That was uh, a gorgeous Richard. idea. Yeah. Um, that we would just create sort of a menu of mm-hmm. Baldwin quotes, <clears throat> and we wouldn't give the audience the answers. We would just give them the questions. And so they could... They could tag a question and then bam, we will do that. That's almost though becoming interactive theater or immersive yeah. theater or whatever yeah. because you feel like you're at some public mm-hmm. interview where you're recreating it, 3D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we almost did the same thing with Before the Dream, the very the opening of the second act. 
Mm-hmm. Isn't it was it, it was? Uh, oh yes, yeah, so it was an interview. Off, you, you had Chester Hines <clears throat> at a, some sort of a. And he was being interviewed show. on a television show. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what that is. I think, and you know, that's why I actually want to like grab you and, and have some time to talk about what's cool. next, um, because I think the part of the I think we're in the research phase of the process. Once we do these readings we go back into what is it, where's the fruitful places for us to research. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is going to be reading that stuff, but I think part of it is going to be throwing some of these ideas out. Let's... I, I think it's really feet. cool that you're, you're effectively like kind of crowdsourcing this play to a certain degree. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like I definitely just obsess and then get out of script, but then it's very, um, you know, cooperative or whatever with the readings, you get a bunch of feedback and it mm-hmm. changes drastically. But yeah. This is a totally different model. Which is it really feels cool. like this is a uh, James Baldwin meeting <laughs> rather than a podcast, but it's awesome because it sort of lets people who are listening to this into the the ins and outs of you know how mm-hmm. you know like uh, you know like there's some somebody's listening right now is like hey I want to develop a play mm-hmm. or I have a develop a concept and they can listen to this and they're like okay so this is how the brainstorming happens well what and I couldn't do it if I hadn't been involved in enough development that I recognize that sometimes and writers know this sometimes you put that first draft out and you go through it. And something, some new idea comes out of it, and you scrap a bunch yep. of what you've done yep. to explore that other place. And that's where we're at in the process. Is it's like, okay, so we need to put some pieces together, but ultimately, you know, the end result needs to be a, for me, a unified piece, mm-hmm. you know, that has beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. And I don't know, like, with Richard Wright, we ended with Richard Wright's death. Yeah. That was an obvious place. Yeah. I don't know that that's where we end with James Baldwin. But, you know, the interesting thing, and that was the last thought that I had of James Baldwin, he comes back to Paris because Richard really wanted well, to be... Well, not Paris, but uh, I'm, not, I'm sorry, not France. Paris. I meant yeah. France. He comes back to France. Richard wanted to be the elder statesman, the person that everyone comes to, the yeah. sort of the lordly figure. Right. Baldwin becomes that. Yeah. Very reluctantly. Mm-hmm. It's not like he asked for, you know, to have Nina Simone and Miles Davis to come I, I, in. I don't know how reluctant. I, I feel like it was, and this is what I want to know about that latter part of his life, is was he happy? Was he comfortable? Because the other thing is, like, we're seeing the Olympics right now. That's yeah. going on in the world. And hearing the commentators, the people who are no longer, you know, they're past their prime. Yeah. And it's always interesting to me to talk to those people, the ones who sound like they're not still hungry for it, mm-hmm. the ones who have found a way to put it in a new place mm-hmm. and moved on with their lives. That's an important thing. I want to find out if Baldwin found a way to move on or if Baldwin just sort of retreated, mm-hmm. but people wouldn't let him retreat. Exactly. People wanted to be around yeah. him and he wanted to be around people. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think it's 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 a nice button. It's almost like a bookend because... Richard Wright, I don't believe, died happy. You no, know, he didn't. His wife he wasn't there. He was almost there. reclusive at yeah. that point. Reclusive, you know, the haiku. And I felt the pain of Richard Wright in the very end. Right. And I don't feel that way. I mean, Baldwin is dead, but he still lives because people want him to live because people quote him. Daily. I uh, see images. documentaries daily. of him. He's far more alive than even Richard Wright is. I'll put this out. Yeah. Um, we want, so we have this website now, baldwincentennialproject.com. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Um, so I'm 
trying to figure out how to craft a page or something mm -hmm. where people can just add their little piece of Baldwin in. What oh, is nice. your piece of Baldwin? You know, what quote did you see today? What picture did you see today? What's something that you finally just read yeah. what that you've been you? hearing about? Yeah. And just... And not so much the personal story, mm -hmm. the anecdote. I mean, there's a possibility of that as well. But just the fact that I, once I committed to this project, it's rare. I never go a week without seeing Baldwin somewhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And more and more, I rarely go more than two days without seeing a Baldwin quote, a Baldwin image. Yeah. And they're everywhere. Peralta, in one of the, we won't be able to go in the house because of COVID, but yeah. in the house... Um, there's a room that is the Your Story room. So the rest of the house is mm. about the history of of the space and how that came into being mm -hmm. and the different cultures that have intersected through there. Um, and it's neat the way it's laid out. This one room is yours, it says. And so on the one wall is their family tree, but then they say, what's your family tree? And on another wall is a map of the United States and says, where are you from? And you have, especially when you bring kids in, put a post-it up. Mm -hmm. Where did your people come from? Mm -hmm. It's kind of neat. On that wall next to the map is a big quote by James Baldwin with a photo. And that's what my uh, profile pic is on Facebook right mm. now. Because I was like, everywhere I go, this man is looking over my shoulder. I'm kind of loving this because it's not my shoulder. It's the whole culture's shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, to put a button on this... Um where do you, because I want, I feel bad that, Neil, you haven't been talking well, about this. Well, what I would throw towards Neil with this is, because the other thing we talked about is, like, with your group and thinking about what it is you guys would like to be doing next. Mm. Okay, so, yeah, uh, so the group that, that we've assembled started as kind of a book reading club, but for plays. Mm. And then um, I happened to take another class, which was uh, Jennifer LeBlanc. Oh, uh, nice. Adapting public domain stories. Name. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. um, and uh, we basically did, at one assignment, did a fairy tale. And Ed did a, uh, I did uh, Little Red Riding Hood, kind of updated with a POV shift to the grandma in the story. Mm -hmm. And I really liked the piece and kind of like uh, mentioned it to the other folks. And they were like, oh, that sounds fun. Let's all do it. Let's all choose a different fairy mm -hmm. tale. Um, so right now we've assembled five that are really good. We just had a, a, re a backyard reading last weekend. Oh, nice. uh, and we're going to be doing a staged reading at the end of April, mm -hmm. uh, which will be open yeah, at the same yeah, space, yeah, yeah. Bayfront Theater. And, okay. And Fort we'll, we'll definitely advertise it. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. That'll be. Uh, has it, we haven't set a date that yet. Um, I think we. I think it's going to be the last weekend. Yay! Cool. So it's a 24th or 26th. Mm -hmm. uh, terrible on calendars. Yeah, but. yeah. But that's okay. Yeah, let us know and we'll we'll definitely uh, we'll pump post it a up. Link. Pump it up. I was going to suggest um, maybe you've done <laughs> it already. Bless you. But have you done like technical theater, like I don't know, stage managing or light sound operating that sort of stuff? Um, so I have been somewhat of a DJ. Uh, yep. Over the past several years, okay. uh, done a bunch of weddings, as corny as that sounds or whatever, yeah. but also for like events for the Bay Area Roller Derby League. Okay. Uh, I was their kind of de events DJ and sound for 10 years. Yeah. Um, but also the, we got into streaming on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the events with like multiple uh, announcers and yeah. stuff going mm -hmm. to commercials and stuff like that. Oh. So sound I've got covered. Um, lighting, yeah. I'm going to learn it. Uh, yeah. Basically, we're going to get a tour of the space, yeah. and I'm going to yeah. be learning it and trying it out with yeah. Norman's, and then we'll do it for ours. And yeah, yeah, that'll be nice. Expertise. Only I only suggest because, as far as a writer is concerned, and also just someone to put theater together to understand the nuances of theater. 
uh, being a stage manager for so many years that you know I have a whole resume of being a stage manager. It really taught me how theater is built. Mm-hmm. You know, because if I was just a writer without having any backstage experience, yeah. mm-hmm. then I would be. One of the things that I learned from Gary Graves's class that we had some individuals come in. They did not have any theater experience, technical theater experience at all. Mm -hmm. And they sort of lived in their heads. Mm -hmm. We had one guy who was like, well, I've got a play where one is Zeus and there's another character who's God and Mm -hmm. there's another character who is Athena. And there will be, you know, we'll have lightning across the stage. And it's like, how are you going to produce that? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. So I think it, it grounds you in reality and you can sort of map out as you're writing the play where it can be produced, mm-hmm. how it can be produced, the characters that you need. It makes it a lot more realistic. So yeah. uh, the last thing, uh, so so where do you see, I mean, what do you want to, when I asked you what type of plays do you want to write, Yeah. Um, what are the type of plays? I mean, what, what, what are the themes of a Neil? Yeah, Arkin sure. Piece? Thanks. I, I did remember that from earlier. I wanted to mm-hmm. get back to it because mm-hmm. I kind of, I didn't intentionally dodge, but it took us in a different direction. <laughs> um, so yeah, I write down uh, like ideas or, or whatever, and mm-hmm. then um, oftentimes. So for example, when so in the past two years, I've actually written like three full lengths, two like oh, one nice. acts, yeah. and eight ten minute plays. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely like churning out. Although I've got you know years of stored up ideas. Yeah. Um, Do they have a basic theme? Um, yeah. So in a lot of so in one of them. Um, uh, uh, well, one emerged from uh, just random prompts. In I took a Madeline Oldham class at Berkeley Rep, and um, she used some prompts from Eric N. Mm-hmm. And I wound up with something that's actually one of my favorite pieces, just something oh. bizarre. Mm-hmm. And it was basically around, like, what are the things you don't want to see on stage? And then you list a bunch of things or whatever. And she was like, then write a play. Choose mm-hmm. a couple and write mm-hmm. a play about it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So out mm-hmm. of your comfort zone stuff. But I really like that one. That one is about... Um, uh, robots, um, mm-hmm. basically, there's a class aspect to it of robots taking jobs and also uh, carrying on the lives of, you know, rich, in this case, white people. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but then also it's kind of a redemption story. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't want to give it away too much of that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. t- touching on some near term sci fi, which I think is not often touched mm-hmm. on in, mm-hmm. in theater, uh, but there's a couple really cool, interesting things. Um, another was came about from just sitting in a bar pre-COVID and talking about like Trump and how when he, he would basically like say something that's like, you can't say that. But then the minute he says it, so many people in the U.S. are like, oh, it's okay to say now. Right. And, and basically, yeah. yeah, moving the... Um, the Overton window, I guess, or whatever, or uh-huh. of like what's acceptable speech and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, and I compared it just on a whim to um, uh, the Stanley Milgram experiments where mm. you got some guy holding a clipboard that says, no, it's okay to flip that switch that causes someone pain. Right. Oh, yes, yeah. I heard about this. So yeah. it's the same thing as like Trump says, is it's okay to say something that causes someone pain. Yeah, you yeah, know, the, yeah. Just make the making that okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of started doing a little bit of research on Stan, Stanley Milgram, and uh-huh. that was kind of a goldmine too, because it turns out he, he kind of uh, selectively uh, well, manipulated the data, I guess, because mm-hmm. it's like you've got this wealth data, you choose how you slice it, and dice was, it. Wasn't this the Stanford experiment? I don't know if it was Stanford. No, yeah. Is it it Stanford? was Stanford. Yeah, well, there was him and then... Um, 
Zimbardo followed with the yeah uh, yeah yeah his was the obedience experiment which was the flipping the switches that were yeah, supposedly right, right, right. inducing shocks yeah because um, yeah. Stanford was he just did the the, the prison experiment with Zimbardo yes, which was yes. his yeah. very strange they went to like high school together um, wow but, but oh. then he wound up being his kind of protege or whatever oh, and uh, fought yeah yeah took yeah. took what Milgram did and then went like way off yeah um like did other experiments too around stanford of like um the the parked car and then the broken windows and then like by the end of like everybody just started like smashing and that basically started broken window policing yes it was a very interesting time in the 60s where people are thinking i mean you have these philosophers and i guess sociologists thinking about how people think or whatever and yeah your play about trump you know like trump normalizing words that hurt or normalizing mm-hmm. hurt yeah. let's be quite yeah. honest yeah. yeah 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 so um that one i also did a adaptation of the iliad set in a western <laughs> uh, uh, that, that's mm-hmm. cool yeah so uh, that reminds me of our brother where out there brother old brother yeah. where, where I, that, that brother was the odyssey hurt, though, yeah. yeah that right. was the odyssey but yeah. it means yeah. same same concept yeah yeah that's awesome that no hey that's fantastic and it sounds like you're well on your way i mean you've got a bunch of material you just have to push it out. Let me ask you uh, before we, and I know we've, we're, we're way past the hour mark. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Playwrights Center for San Francisco, how is that working out for you? I guess Rod McFatten is running things now? Um, but yeah, I guess. Um, although I think he's trying to transition leadership okay. Uh, okay. coming up soon. Um, they're definitely looking and, for and more Don, volunteers. And Don Hardwick. Uh, is he still part oh, of it? I don't uh-huh. think I've ever come across him. Oh, okay. I, I, the, um, the Iliad adaptation is actually getting, uh, in the springtime, a... Uh, uh, developmental reading full thing over zoom though right on um that's fantastic but so they're supporting you uh yeah ultimately i mean i i I applied for uh the writer's pool didn't get in this year i'll try again next year for playground Mm -hmm. yeah um but uh pcsf i joined and submitted uh, a play and this i knew it was going to be over zoom their short play festival playoffs Mm -hmm. um so i had i wrote a piece that leaned into the medium really hard it was a zoom play specifically Mm -hmm. Um, and so I lucked out and got uh, Lamont Rigel. Wow! <laughs> and uh, Sakura um, mm-hmm. Nakahara uh, were my two actors, yeah. and uh, Sinuhui Hinjosa was who actually has like video production experience. I really lucked out. It's kind of a, yeah. a random pool of assignment. Yeah, yeah. I really lucked out. And uh, so my 10 minute play I put up on YouTube. I can mm-hmm. give it to you guys. Um, but that wound up tying for second place in playoffs for, awesome. as audience choice. Yay. Well, when you have an actor like Lamont, <laughs> he's <laughs> really phenomenal. I'm sure all yeah. of them did really, really well. Yeah. Well, it was small worlds. Like, yeah. you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah. people, if you don't know somebody, you know somebody who knows somebody. So that's awesome. That's fantastic. And so the playwrights, it sounds like you're getting a good experience from them. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I've done a couple of scene nights with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and again, I kind of supplement it. It's just another place to kind of bring in pages, get different perspectives right. mm-hmm. on your work. Because it's, you know, folks that, uh, the folks that we read with all the time get kind of comfortable or whatever. Course, Sometimes you need, mm-hmm. you need to really be challenged. Yeah. Uh, constructive criticism is, yeah. is a very helpful thing. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, you're you're well on your way. You know, you've got material. You're pushing material out. You're working on the Broadway project. Yeah. So, um, it's it'll be exciting to yeah. see. PCSF has is open for submissions on a BIPOC uh, showcase showcase yeah. right now. Um, so yeah, we'll we we'll push that. To we'll, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll push that. Uh-huh. There we go. All right. Well, we better. <laughs> we're going to get into the two-hour mark if we don't clam things up. All right. But it's been a wonderful conversation. Um, shout outs, birthdays. 
I'm getting there. Yeah, I can begin. Uh, well, let's see. Let me bring that this up. I got a picture of Kimberly Ridgeway, uh, who's doing dot. So shout outs. Yes. Uh, today is my stepdaughter-in-law. <clears throat> um, it's her birthday. Um, and it's so funny because her father is actually not around. Her father's in New Mexico. So she kind of looks to me for some of that fatherly energy, which is just not... I'm, I'm getting used to this. I've been doing it more and more on stage where I am the parent of adult children now it's happening in my real life. It's kind of freaking me out. Anyway, Taj's <laughs> birthday is today. Uh, Deirdre Renee's birthday was just recently, and she and her husband are about to move to Georgia to be closer to her family. Oh, wow. Um, and she's somebody that I met at the alley, and we got in a conversation one night. She said, I just got cast in this show. It's with this little company over in, little company over in San Francisco. I said, whoa, what play? She says, the America play. I said, oh, is Ronnie doing the lead? She's like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I know Tony's directing is so-and-so. And so she goes to her next rehearsal, and she comes back. She's like, Norman, I mentioned your name, and suddenly everybody just stopped. <laughs> it was like, oh, we have <laughs> yes, to talk about Norman. that Jones. will happen. <laughs> so Dare to Renee's birthday uh, just passed. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to leave some for you. Ian Walker's birthday, uh, dear friend, playwright. Yeah, what's he doing these days? Is he being starting a, dad? a family? Yeah, He's da- being a dad. Yeah, uh, yeah, the kid yeah. is probably about three or going on three, I would think now. Mm. I'm going to keep goosing him because he's, he's a wonderful actor and playwright and sound designer, technician, producer. He's, he's everything. Um, somebody on the other end of the spectrum, <laughs> Baruch Paras Hernandez. I probably mangled mm. part of his name. Baruch is um, somebody I met through the Bay Area Playwrights Foundation. I was part of their selection committee for a number of years, and he was as well. He still lives in the city, and he very much focuses on poetry and gay theater. That's that's kind of his niche, and, and being Latino. Mm. It's a... It's an, it, when you see his stuff, it's an interesting intersection of those things because it's very uniquely his, but it expresses identity in a wonderful way. Skipping another one. Uh, Luis Valls is somebody I went to San Francisco State with, and mm-hmm. for a while he was running the No Space, or Theater of Yugen is the name of the company, I ah, think. Ah, Theater of Yugen, yeah. At the No Space, name, yeah. and I think they have a new name now. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, uh, we're college alums. Uh, Jim, Jim Kleinman. There we go. The his birthday. Playground. Yeah. His birthday is coming the 15th, up this week. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Jeff Dunn is, I've got a couple of names on here of people who I've never seen really do theater, but they support theater. Jeff Dunn and his wife, Susan, live in Alameda, and they do a little home living room reading series. Um, but they also, they get out, they see shows. They really are very supportive, um, very active members of the community. Um, skipping one more. <laughs> Keep track. Mm-hmm. Um, and Guy Bellum is somebody I went to, met at San Francisco State, and he started doing comedy. And he has now gone on to not only do comedy, but as marijuana became legal, mm. he sort of became the ambassador of marijuana. Oh. And so he gets lots <laughs> of gigs where he goes He's out and man. is sort of the spokesman. <laughs> so when there are events and things, he actually goes out. Yeah, cool. he's. it's been wild. He, he His big joke in college, and I hope he still uses it, it is his seeds a big, the what is it? The big rock, uh, chocolate mountain of joy. Okay, <laughs> he is a, he is not a small man. Um, a couple more. Craig, this must be my alumni week. Craig Nebar is somebody I also went to San Francisco State with, and we keep toying with the idea that we're going to get together and and work on a project, but it hasn't happened yet. 
And then the last one, somebody else who I only know as a supporter of theater. Jennifer Heinemann was what I knew her as, and I guess she's gotten married again because now the last name is something else I can't pronounce. So say. Anyway, Jennifer um, was somebody I met through Bay Area Playwrights Foundation. Um, I've since seen her connected to other companies. She's somebody who is really wants to make sure that there's community support for theater, and she brings it. So those are my birthday kids for the week. All right. Uh, Helena Alvarez, her birthday was on February the 10th. She was our Fatima and Julia Wright in Foreman in Paris. She um, has two kids now, and uh, her family's just growing, and she's just mm-hmm. so happy, and I love seeing her pictures online. So happy birthday, Helena. Uh, Christine McComer, she is a, a veteran actress. Um, I sang with her. We did uh, Grey Gardens at the Douglas Morrison Theater. A uh, wonderful actress. Uh, her birthday was February the 10th. It passed already. Gary Graves, I think you saved that for me. Yeah. Uh, his birthday will be tomorrow, Super Bowl oh. Sunday. Woo. As a matter of fact, I had tried to get Gary on uh, today, but he was like, uh, <laughs> but he's teaching. Uh-huh. And uh, he is, of course, uh, one of the founders of um, Central, Central Works. Works. And he teaches, we've been talking about him all, all day today, of uh, the uh, Berkeley Rep uh, playwriting class. So happy birthday, Gary. Mentor to so many of us. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on the 14th, Danny Martin, I think you saved that for me. Yeah. Uh, fantastic actor. His birthday is on February the 14th, Valentine's Day. He and I were on stage. We did 110 in the Shade. I'm looking at the poster right now. Mm. Uh, great, great. Um, and also, he was in my play. I wrote a play called uh, Judicial Process an adaptation of Bertolt Brecht's um, one act, and he was uh, in that. Actually, he helped in the reading in that. Uh, Also on February the 14th, Rachel Detheridge. I was on stage with her. We did Candide together. Mm. An amazing singer. Uh It could be a model. She actually uh, got married. uh, She's either married or she has a longtime boyfriend, but she basically moved to Germany. Wow! (laughs) Of all places. So um, happy birthday, Rachel. Um, She'll be 33 years old. Uh, Jim Kleiman, you mentioned uh, him yep. already. Uh, also, Joanne Lorenzana Blauer, um, a Philippine singer. Uh, I had her on on my other podcast, oh, which yeah. is I'm an American too. Yes, because a friend of mine, Brant Blauer, he and I were on stage. We did Water Buff. Was it Water Buffalo? Ye- no, The Marriage of Bet and Boo, uh-huh. uh, which was directed by Raymond Ray, and we've had Raymond Ray on. Mm-hmm. So, in any case, that's how I know Brant. This is Brant's wife who was a superstar singer in the Philippines in the 1980s, Wow! came to America, tried her stint. Actually, she's still trying. She actually has a couple of her records out. Oh, great, great. But she was involved in theater rhubarb for a bit uh-huh. and when wow. that was still going on. Mm-hmm. So happy birthday, Joanna. Uh, Jonathan Rice Williams, his yeah. birthday is on the 15th. You say that for me. Yeah. And he has a, um, he wants, uh, I guess the Tabard Theater is doing, he directs, he is the, um, Executive executive director director, of the Tabard Theater. And they have a fundraiser going on. So um, please donate to the Tabard Theater if you have money to donate uh, for a very good cause. I have only a couple of others. Paul Plain. um, His birthday is February the 17th. I've acted with Paul Plain. We did Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, a musical uh, directed by Don Monique Williams. And that Mm -hmm. was a couple of years ago, um, 2019, I think. And Paul is a fantastic actor, and he had we had him on the A. You weren't here. Uh-huh. I think you were doing, um, you may have been Fair out of please. the country. Oh. Yeah, this is a while back. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. But in any case, uh, yeah, Paul, uh, he is a fantastic actor, and uh, so his birthday uh, will be 
Oh, shucks. I missed uh, the 17th. Also, I missed somebody on the 16th. That is, the, and this will be the last person. No, second to last person, Peter Abraham. And he'll be probably, if not the next guest, the guest after next for okay. the yay. Uh, he is an actor. Uh, he was involved with Off-Broadway West for a long time. Mm-hmm. He was in Hedda Gobbler um, as uh, the sort of the baddie. And uh, <laughs> excellent presence, and I'm dying to see what he's doing these days. I haven't seen him in a while. His birthday is the 16th, and the last person is Maurice Eldridge, who was the former principal of Duke Ellington School of the Performing Arts. Hmm. So when I was at Duke Ellington from 84 to 87, he was the principal, and his uh, daughter was there, and he was just a very interactive. He wasn't just these principals that stay in the, uh, the, the corner office. But he was engaged. He was engaged mm-hmm. with his students, and he wanted to make sure that you were learning and that you got into higher education, that you got to colleges. And he was a very, very warm, not was, is, a warm and uh, loving person. So happy birthday, uh, Dr. Eldridge. Shows. Uh, the Maskers, which I really need to keep paying attention to since I'm going to be directing there this fall, um, is um, doing As You Like It. And uh, Bedelia... The um, one of the actors who was understudying with me in Pericles is in it. She's playing Phoebe, which is kind of sweet. And they run through next weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only one. I thought I had some other ones. Yeah, um, I think Playground just announced. A... Oh, uh, duh, Tempest. Um, <laughs> yeah, with a uh, uh, Oakland Theater Project mm-hmm. is oh, opening this week. Okay, got it. Yeah, so um, I believe the subject for the uh, for uh, Playground is. Um, all you need is love. Uh, what yeah, you all right you now? need is what the world needs what, now. What, what the world needs now. Yeah. yeah. So that will be, and I think playground will be the twenty first, the twenty first of March. Right? Yeah. Yes. So, oh yeah, and then of course our show. <laughs> of course our show, the Baldwin Project. We'll mm-hmm. be pumping that as well. We've talked about Pulp Scripture. That is a uh, teeny weeny podcast. Oh yeah, <laughs> very fun. By ApophricaMedia.com, uh, created by William Bivens, and we've talked about that. They do podcasts, like 15-minute podcasts, which is a satirical take on the Bible. <laughs> and they take these Bible verses, mm-hmm. write these skits on it, and uh, it's very, very fun. Yeah, very If you're fun. into that sort of stuff. Episode 7, The Shameful Origin of Moab and Ammon. That is uh, episode 7, and that's up right now. The Mountaintop. Paired Theater is doing The Mountaintop. Which is a take on Martin Luther King Jr. His last days, right. and Mike, he has a Michael visitor. Wayne Rice is Martin Luther King. It's pretty sweet. Ah, I didn't know that. And of course, he's been on the A. Yeah. And Damaris Devito. Yes. Is the um, the maid? The, I think she is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she's on that. So check that out. We have a link. My hate letter to the Great American Theater that is opening. In the, just the next couple of days, uh, February the seventeenth through the twentieth, we already had. Um, Golda Sargento, yeah. a.k.a. Rebel Maria. Uh, she will be the featured actress in that. Shotgun Players is doing that, so we have a link for that. Mm-hmm. Um, Carmen is being done at the Opera San Jose. If you're into opera, we had Brenna Kimmerly on, and she will be in that. So we have a link for that February the 12th. So it's open already to the 27th. Central Works is doing Escape from the Asylum on from March the 17th through April the 17th. Alan Coyne is in it. Jan's Leifler is in it. Gary oh, Jan's in it. Jan is in it. Oh, <laughs> it's been a while since crazy. I've seen her on stage. I, I love seeing Jan on stage. <laughs> and Gary is, of course, directing it, and so uh, we have a link to that as well. When does that open? That opens March the seventeenth, so you have plenty of time. Oh, we got so there are rehearsals. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dot, the new conservatory theater, 
is uh, they're doing a play called Dot that'll open March the fourth by April Coleman the third by Coleman Domingo. Kim Donovan is in it. Kim Ridgeway is in it. Ugh. Sean J. West is directing it. Right. So uh, we have a link for that as well. <laughs> we will delete that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Folks. It's okay. Um, Apparently, and we, it's allergy day. Yeah. And we've had uh, Dr. Stephanie Johnson on. She was the uh, woman who, uh, and we actually have her on uh, YouTube. Uh, she was the one who um, is the um, lighting, uh, director of lighting. I need she this. She teaches lighting. I need this. <laughs> oh, yeah? And oh. she is uh, doing a master class on uh, lighting uh, hosted by the Oakland Theater Project, The Magic of Lighting. That'll oh. be March the 7th through the 28th in person. I think there's also a link, so you, it'll be streamed, and we'll have that link. I've taken some of their other classes, and they do either or. Yeah, now. yeah. So uh, check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a couple of podcasts. Uh, Barry Graves, who was our um, Richard Wright, mm-hmm. he has uh, The Black Man's Heart, um, and that will be on Spotify on all your podcast apps. Go check that out. Mallory Samara, our uh, consulting producer, is also the producer of KCBS Radio, and she has a podcast called Collect- Connect the Dots. Mm-hmm. A news podcast. And also, Bindlestiff has the Fobcast, exploring Philippine-American immigrant stories. Check the Fobcast on any podcast app. Also, before I forget, jerseys. We still have jerseys. Yay. Please buy a jersey if you want. We have black. We have pinstripe. We have white. Um, come check us out. It's $30. And uh, you could just PM me or Norman, and uh, we will make sure that you oh, get it. Oh, I left it. my logo here, didn't I? Yeah, I still have it. Okay. I think I may need to borrow it because I need to put yeah, it on Connor. Yeah, go for it. No, I just, my other new and good for this week was that I got paid finally hey, on this teaching go. gig that I've been doing. So I'm like, oh, yay, now I can finally, I've got a couple of projects. <laughs> that's that's on the list of, I, I've got a, somebody who does alterations for me, and so I'll get my jacket done. Yeah, yeah, there you go. for <laughs> spring when I won't need it, but oh, well. So, Neil, did you have a good time? Absolutely. This was fantastic, guys. Yeah, thank you so much for being on. And uh, we are not on YouTube this time because we are doing it live. In person. <laughs> to quote Bill O'Brien. Remember Brillo, 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 um, no. Bill O'Reilly? Remember oh, Bill, Bill O'Reilly? O'Reilly? What did he say? There was a famous uh, current affair where he was on current affair, and I guess yeah. it was a hot take, and he was, oh. he was frustrated, <laughs> and he just, yeah, there's, it's it. a meme. What does he say? He so he's filming this uh, thing, right? But of course uh, he can't read the teleprompter. Oh, okay. And is acting up, and he doesn't know that it's being filmed. And he's like, well, "All the hell with it! I'll do it live." Yeah. <laughs> 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 it is funny, and it's on the internet. So okay. that's why I call Forever. live. So yes. so when we're not on, uh, when we don't do the Zoom, we're we're doing it live. So there's no video. So sure. you can listen to us on all podcast apps. If you're on the, um, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, we have the Purple Podcast app. We're on Spotify. Although I'm wondering if we should not be on Spotify anymore <laughs> since everyone's oh, canceling. Oh, the Joe Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we will to think get about that. Playlist software. Yeah. Right now. Mm-hmm. But in any case, uh, if you are an Android user, you can also use the. Um, the um, SoundCloud app, or just go on SoundCloud.com. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise, or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up. We're at the Yay3 on um, Twitter. Twitter. And uh, I'm at Reg Space Clay. And I'm at Who's Your Hoosier? Neil, do you have a, a social media? I actually don't use Twitter or any social media. Social I'm on New Play media? Exchange. There New Play go. Exchange? Okay, there you go. Oh, yeah. that's right, because you're, you're smitting plays, right? Yeah. Right on. And nice. you're not even on um, uh, Facebook? No, definitely not on Facebook. Oh, okay. Oh. Absolutely not. <laughs> Maybe we need to get off. Not. I don't know. 
Well, slowly. Yeah. We're, we're working that direction. All righty. Well, thank you so much. And as Norman and I always say, you got to find a, a better sign off. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Super Bowl. And we will see you later. Take care.